Hi. Hey, Bree. How's it going? <laughs> Sorry, let me get it set up here. Yeah, no Maybe worries. Easier. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I uh, really appreciate you reaching out and wanting to be yeah. a part of this. And uh, of course. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty crazy since posting that TikTok. It's just been oh, I bet a really. Yeah incredible amount of people who have reached out and said that you know they were also molested or abused or just I mean there's a whole spectrum of things that people have gone through and Mm -hmm. I think it's just when people see others talking about their experiences they feel more comfortable talking about their own so it's just yeah just a huge outpouring of love and uh, I'm just couldn't be more excited and thrilled that people like yourself want to share their stories so Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. And you're in Hawaii, right? Yeah, that's right. In Where Hawaii. in Hawaii? Honolulu. Cool. Yeah, so on Oahu. I'm in the army, so I'm just stationed out here uh, for another two years. So it's pretty nice, though. It's beautiful out here. I bet. Yeah. What a what a place to quarantine. Where are you from originally? Yeah. Utah, actually. Nice. So big change. Yeah, coming here. Yeah. No kidding. You're in LA, right? Yeah, I'm in LA okay. from from Seattle originally. So there's really, I mean, the, the funny thing about this podcast is that like there's there's abs- there's really no structure <laughs> like at all. It's just an open forum to discuss whatever you want to talk about. Whatever you feel like sharing is awesome. Okay. But um yeah, I mean, it's always funny like getting getting messaged by people on Instagram or, you know, TikTok or the YouTube comments and just being like, "Hey, I got molested too." And it's like <laughs> normally <laughs> it's like, it's oh. like yeah, yeah, it's just like, oh, okay, word. Yeah, like, shout out. I mean, it's a very funny feeling because normally when people tell you that they got molested, the reaction is so negative and sad. And like every message that I get from people saying that they were abused too, I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, gr- like great yeah. news. Like, yeah. You're like, yeah, that's awesome. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I really I think, think that that, go ahead. Yeah. I think like also being like that though and being more like open to it is also like helps people to be like oh yeah that happened to me too you know instead of being like so serious about it kind of can help people open up easier like oh yeah yeah, like that happened to me too lol you know like it's not as hard to talk about it I think so I totally agree I mean I think that I think that laughter especially can be a super good foundation for conversations like this. It's so standard to just be depressed about these experiences when you're talking Mm -hmm. about them. And the more I talk to people, the more I find that like, you know, while that does work for a lot of people. And I mean, I've had my fair share of sad moments, remembering things Mm -hmm. that have happened. It's like, it's always good to cry it out. But uh, I really think that there's a whole nother way that we can tackle these issues. And it doesn't have to be this thing that's like swept under the rug and people mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable talking about. It can literally be a thing that two strangers, I mean, we just met, <laughs> we never, yeah. never talked before. And now we're just sharing like, yeah, trauma. Let me tell you my like deepest trauma, you know, like it's no biggie, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that like, I think that people really, people really are looking for another outlet that is, mm-hmm. uh, that is a way that just doesn't, it doesn't have to be so heavy. Um, and it's not diminishing what happened at all. It's just like, mm-hmm. you can handle this however you want to. It's, it's yeah, up to you to process it in whatever way works best for you. So I just really appreciate you sharing this, uh, sharing this sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, sentiment. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not the first time I've shared it. So I think it makes it easier the more you do share it too. It's like, it gets easier. And like, it seems like it is almost 
not as hard to share it with a stranger than it is someone that like knows you or cares about because it's like they're not gonna be like oh like I know your family or I know like you and like all this stuff which like a stranger doesn't care they're like oh yeah me too you know it's not like I don't know it's not as difficult it's just easier to totally. ex- explain to someone oh I completely agree with that that's like because it, it it's so hard to talk about it when you know that there's going to be not ramifications but like all these other things have to happen when you're talking about it with your family and there is a sort of a, a sense of ease when you're talking to somebody with like yeah it's like you know we don't mm-hmm. really know anything about each other it's like <laughs> unbiased opinion about it exactly so and that's like... and that's definitely how I felt when I was doing stand-up about it especially for the first time because like when you at least for me when I was getting molested I felt like after I didn't say something the first time, it felt so much harder. Like if you don't say something the first time it happens, each other additional time that it happens, it gets harder and harder to speak up about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I agree, there is this interesting dynamic between strangers that like when I did it, when I did stand up about it for the first time, I felt like so free and just like mm-hmm. not a care in the world. It was like super euphoric and cathartic and like, it's it's interesting yeah what's gonna happen from this is like strangers are just gonna end up sharing their trauma with other strangers just across the internet and just like randomly with people on the street mm-hmm. it's be a, like, a revolution of molested kids <laughs> everyone's like yeah i'm molested too like yeah. a facebook group everyone's molested but yeah yeah but yeah i agree with like the first time saying something because like for me i never said anything as a kid like i didn't say a word until probably like i didn't even remember or like think that that was a bad thing that was happening until I was like about 16 like I didn't didn't even recognize that as molestation or abuse or like something that like isn't normal I was like oh yeah this is normal you know like I'm just like living my life but I think also that goes into like how I was raised as well I was raised super Mormon mm-hmm. um my family's from Utah and most people in Utah are Mormon so right, right. and I think that that played a part uh played a part in that as well be like mm-hmm. we shouldn't talk about this taboo like that kind of any type of sexual thing is like not okay so it's like tells you like oh if you say something like you're going to be in trouble you know like it's already implied right. something that plays a part in like not saying anything and so like when you don't say anything it just continues on until until it stops i guess or it can never stop too at the same time so yeah it's a super uncomfortable thing to to bring up especially at that age when I, I mean, I, I felt the same way. Like, I didn't really know even what was happening. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> while I was getting molested, I was just, like, so confused. And and you don't, you know, eight-year-olds are not thinking rationally about these things. It, it, at least for me, it was I, I was eight. I think you said you were you were eight as well. When yeah, eight to ten. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, we got the, the same time yeah. frame. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> but it really is, it, it's, it's such an impossible thing to rationalize at that age. And I think when you're, when you don't, sort of treat it initially and I mean maybe if you do but especially when you don't it's it's so much easier for our minds as kids to just play it off like mm-hmm. it's normal it's like I don't know I don't want to think about this so let's just come up with a way that I don't have to by just normalizing it so it's uh I definitely empathize with you there and I think <laughs> a lot of people who have been through this did as well but um you said that you started so it started when you were eight and, mm-hmm. and who molested you it was my brother. So I am adopted. Um, I was adopted at birth though. So I like raised with my family. Um, he is five years older than me. So like at the time he was started when he was 13 until he's 15. So like 
uh, we didn't have the best like life growing up, you know, like our mom, she was sick, things like that. And like, I don't like to use that as an excuse for why he did what he did. Cause he was much older than me, you know, like way more aware of what things are and stuff like that. Yeah. But I do think it plays a factor into like maybe why he did or things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I think, yeah, that's who did it with my brother. And I think it makes it super hard. Cause like I see him all the time. It's not like, you know, I didn't you know, like disown him as my brother or anything like that. Um, he, he won't admit that it happened. And I think he's embarrassed and probably ashamed at the same time that it had happened, you know. Um, for me, that was something super hard to get over that he's never going to, like, admit this or accept that that happened. Um, and it does make it harder, like, the healing process to get over to be like, well, why can't you do this? You feel crazy. You're like, well, did it even happen then? Like, is it, did this happen? Am I making it up? You know, like, <laughs> did I dream this? Like, I swear right. it's real, you know. And I think uh, – like my dad though, like he did like say he believes me and things like that. So I think that kind of like made me feel better a bit thinking that like someone believes me and my family, you know, like this happened. Um, but yeah, we never talk about it. No one in my family talks about it. They just kind of brush under the rug, pretend it didn't happen. So that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like the general reaction to these kind of things, especially mm -hmm. when it's somebody that is in your family like holy shit mm -hmm. i can't even imagine and so you were eight he was 13 mm -hmm. so when you guys interact now it never comes up and when you see him are you does it come up is that what it what you're thinking about when you guys are interacting or have you kind of um it's so so it depends on the situation you know like there's sometimes where um you know like I FaceTime my family and he'll be there or something like visiting my parents or something. And I'll see him and like, I'll think of it for a second. You know, like I still do think about it because I don't know when you see him, that's who it was like, you know, and it, it did affect me so much. And like, I didn't even think about it until later on in life. So it's like, I was still trying to deal with it and like stuff like that. So I feel like, yeah, every time I see him, I think about it and he, we don't talk about it ever. Uh, our relationship used to be like weirdly good before I said that that happened and mm -hmm. now it's just like awkward like we don't we're not close anymore and we're not really like we don't really talk that much so yeah damn yeah <laughs> it's crazy thinking about living in the same house with the person who molested you <laughs> that, mm -hmm. is, that is so bananas wow I wonder like because when I would see the guy who molested me because we had to go to trial and then mm -hmm he didn't get convicted and my parents asked me if I wanted to move away. And I just said, no, cause my whole, my whole life was there. Like all of my friends, I loved yeah. it there and I didn't want to just abandon all of that. Um, but naturally I saw him around and every time I would see him, I would get like this, my heart would, I swear that was like the highest my heart rate ever got was seeing <laughs> this guy. And I'd see him in like fucking Safeway, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. I'd just be shopping for groceries and this dude would cruise in and like, it was so, it was really difficult seeing him. Um, I didn't, I, sometimes I would get flashbacks, but it wasn't really ever just from like seeing him. It was more mm -hmm. other things that would trigger, trigger just like random experiences. Yeah, would, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's so weird how our minds work like that and repress memories. And I'm sure there are still so many things that I've forgotten. Like <laughs> I haven't, and maybe they'll come back one day, who knows? But I can imagine you were dealing with a lot of like family dynamics that you didn't want to interfere with. Yeah, and I think part of the reason I think my brain, like, 
not remember who was protecting itself because I was still living with him. And so I think until he moved out, my brain was like, nope, we're not going to think about that. We're not going to remember that until he's gone, you know, because I think it would have been too much to like think about it, you know. And yeah, with our mom being sick and stuff like that, it kind of felt like, you know, even after I said something like that wasn't really a priority. That wasn't really like mm. important at the time. Like we're dealing with this too, you know, like this is a big deal. So like at the time it seemed like it wasn't a big, de- like it was small in comparison. So I think that, you know, <laughs> yeah. oh, to me, <laughs> you know, and so it was just like, I don't know. I feel like my parents, they didn't really know what to do. I don't think they're like, Oh, like, uh, like stuns. Like they're like, Oh, like they didn't know who to comfort, who to talk to. Like, and I know it kind of made me a little bit resentful that they weren't just like, oh, like what we can do for you. You know, it was kind of like, oh, well, let's just ignore this and pretend it didn't happen, you know? And oh, yeah. like when I did say something like uh, there was an investigation done, you know, but at that point it'd been years since it happened. And it was like, he said, she said type of thing. So it was like, he's just going to deny it. And I was like, no, this happened. I swear, you know, and it was just like, there was nothing came of it. And I, they were like, do you want to press charges? And I said, no, I was like, it's let it go at this point, you know? So nothing ever came of it, but it's still like, you want them to acknowledge it, I guess for my sake. Like I wish he would, but. Yeah. It's such a problem with the way that our judicial system handles these types of cases right now. It's like almost so often cases really just come down to, he said, she said, and Mm -hmm. I mean, not necessarily in your case, but a lot of the times it's like a 50 year old adult and a child. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, there's circumstantial evidence, which I think should be weighted a lot more heavily in these types of cases. Like, mm-hmm. for example, in, in my case, there were other kids that testified that they saw the guy who molested me come into the room late at night, multiple different occasions. And he admitted to that. Um, and said that it was because his son, my best friend, who I called Jamie, uh, was slept better when he was in the room. And it's mm. like, that's so interesting because he's asleep when you come into the room. <laughs> You're like, really? Because that doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. And also, mm-hmm. why are you sleeping on my side of the bed? <laughs> why aren't you sleeping? And it, it's like, what are you falling asleep with us? How weird would that be if this, if this, our, your friend's dad was <laughs> part of the sleepover? Like, even though there is rarely like tangible evidence that you know like fingerprints or whatever there was a comment Mm -hmm. on on the tiktok on one of the tiktoks where i was talking about how the guy didn't get convicted and they were like why didn't they just dust your dick for fingerprints (laughs) (laughs) i was like that is such a good that's such a good line i'm definitely going to use that but um, you're like they should i guess (laughs) they should have i know i know but because there isn't evidence like that normally there's Mm -hmm. it's just people just don't get convicted for these things Mm -hmm. and so it's yeah it's it's really it's hard to know what the right thing to do is moving forward, legally speaking, uh, in terms of making a difference in these types of cases. But I think all we can really do right now is just keep talking about it and trying to spread awareness. Um, but that is that is really crazy. And, um, and I, I can imagine not wanting to take any attention away from your mom mm-hmm. and, and not wanting to the last thing you want to do is affect other people with these things. I know that when it, when I was going through it, I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want anyone to know about it. I didn't, even even Mm -hmm. when my mom eventually was able to figure out what had happened to me, I couldn't even say what had happened. It was just her asking a bunch of questions over and over again until she got to a question that was like in, in, I forget what grade I was in, but 
in that grade, they had taught us the difference between a good touch and a bad touch. And that was the only education I had about this kind of stuff. And my mom happened to be like volunteering that day. And so she was aware of that. And she was able to ask like, is it, was it a bad touch that this guy did? And I was like, yes. And I remember in that moment, just feeling like completely free of all of these suppressed feelings and and emotions, but it's so hard not wanting to speak up but feeling like you can't because you don't want anybody else to feel bad about it and and at that age too it's like you know I didn't want to lose my friend um and I knew Mm -hmm. that that would happen most likely which funnily enough it didn't happen uh I mean our relationship obviously we weren't hanging out in the same way (laughs) still remain friends but um yeah I I just I'm really proud of you and like amazed that you were still able to speak up despite the circumstances. I think so often people in situations like that don't say anything and then it just becomes a burden on themselves for the rest of their lives. So it's really awesome that, that you were able to speak up despite how hard of a situation that was. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like part of the reason I didn't think it was bad or things like that is like, I feel like uh, the culture I was raised in, like they don't like inform you. They don't really teach like, kids like my parents didn't ever have a talk with me and sit me down and be like hey like if someone touches you you know on your vagina or things like that like and use actual words for body parts things like that they never I never distinctively remember having a conversation with my parents or like really anyone about like oh someone shouldn't touch you there it was more like in the church like when you go to church class they'd be like oh like if you do these unclean acts like you won't go to heaven and you can't marry your spouse in the temple and all this stuff it was never like this shouldn't happen because like, it's just bad. It was more like you, you will be the bad person if these things happen, you know, and stuff like that. So I think all of that <laughs> so like, ridiculous. surrounding me <laughs> felt like if I said something, like you feel guilty, like as an eight year old kid to 10 years old, I look back and I think like, I feel so bad for like little Brie and thinking like how guilty and ashamed she felt for things that like weren't her fault, you know? And I'm like, I just think it's fucked up. I'm like, <laughs> I need like, if I ever have kids, like, I don't want them to be in a situation where I was like, I hope not, God, I hope not, you know? And like, I don't want them to think that like, it's their fault, you know? And like, that's how I felt like I didn't say anything. I pretended to exist, put it away in the back corner of my mind, you know? And then like, when I remembered, it was just like this rush of like everything all at once. And it was like, I remembered every detail, everything like right then. And it was just like overwhelming because I didn't like say anything before. So it happened for so long that it was just like, everything at once and I think I don't know there definitely needs to be more awareness of things happening like this because it'll keep happening kids don't like have resources or like even the knowledge of knowing that like that's not normal that's not okay you know even if it is a family member because I feel like that's another reason I didn't say anything I was like oh it's my brother it's fine like that's fine like we're (laughs) related like he's my brother it doesn't matter like whatever you know and I'm like that's so fucked up that I thought that but <laughs> no, I'm like yeah it's really it's really best, not you know? though I'm like whatever it's it's really not fucked up at all though it's like that's just the logic that's the level of reasoning that we're at in our brains at that age we've only been yeah. thinking thoughts for like four years it's like you can't expect <laughs> kids without any sort of education in these topics to be able to handle them correctly and that's you bring up a good point which is one of the goals of this podcast is to find out the right way to educate kids and parents. Like, you know, like you said, Mm -hmm. it's like parents are just as in the dark about this stuff as, as kids are. I mean, 
there's, <laughs> there are books and stuff about how to handle this stuff. But I really, I really think that we have to, and I don't know the right way to do this yet. And, and it's just going to come mm-hmm. from conversations like this, trying to figure out how to, how to educate kids about this topic without causing them to develop, you know, a mistrust for all adults. And, and I yeah. think that there are so many ways that you can do that, but people are resistant to it because they don't want to expose their kids to sex too early. And mm-hmm. it's like, I get, I get that, but the, the potential harm drastically outweighs the, <laughs> what you're preserving by, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to learn about sex in a couple of years anyway. It's like, you might as well give them the tools to at mm-hmm. least speak up and, and prevent this kind of stuff from happening to them. But as, and I can imagine, especially in like a Mormon household, in a Mormon upbringing, how hard that mm-hmm. must have been to feel like you were going to hell. For no, yeah, lost. like I had just been like one of the first times it happened. It had just been I had just gotten baptized, which is like the signature moment in Mormons is like getting baptized and like being a real member of the church, you know. And that happens when you're eight, so like that happened. And then all of a sudden, right after, I'm already sinning is what it felt like. You know, it's like I'm already being a sinner and all this stuff. So it was kind of just like, oh, is my baptism a waste, you know, and stuff like that. And like you tell yourself that, but like it's it's ridiculous. It's that they, I don't know. And I don't think that they necessarily always intend to make children feel that way. But I think there's a different approach to go about it. Like my parents are still LDS, you know, and like they can do what they want. I support them doing that. If they want to do that. And you what know, does obviously mean? Latter-day Saints. It's Mormons. Okay, nice. same thing, but yeah, yeah. they have multiple names, you know, but uh, <laughs> I just think that there's different, they need to be more, I don't know, proactive in teaching kids and things like that. And like, there's easier ways to tell kids, like you don't have to explain sex to your kid to explain that somebody shouldn't be touching them exactly. in their private parts. You know, like there's boundaries that you have, like, even just like with hugs or things like that and not letting people touch your children without your children's permission or like asking your child like hey is this okay you know what i mean like instead of just letting them do it you know what i mean so yeah we're going to have to clip that segment cuz i think that, that that alone is enough to for people to understand like that you can com- convey this information without it ruining your kids innocence yeah um, like it's not an innocence ru- ruiner to say like penis vagina like those are natural body parts you know what I mean? yeah, you like, have that's those. not wrong like you have <laughs> yeah. those on yeah. you like yeah. children should know the real name so when they someone is attempting to do that or does that to your child they can come and tell you hey mom dad this happened to me you know what i mean like because a lot of kids are like like you said you didn't know what to say and it took so many questions for he her to even get to the point of asking you like oh did he touch you badly you know what i mean like mm-hmm. so yeah and i think that it's it's i totally agree with you and also it's definitely you know not just a mormon thing i think that it's many many religions i didn't grow up religious but from a lot of my friends did and i i think that there's a similar similar uh idea of of associated with sinning behavior just makes you (laughs) as guilty as the person who's committing the thing Mm -hmm. and that's seems so silly to me but i wonder um did you like while were you awake while you were getting molested yes so like it would be like we'd have little sleepovers like in tent in the backyard or in his room like it was like oh a brother sister sleepover you know like it was innocent like it was supposed to be whatever you know and like I think even before it started like it was almost somewhat grooming me to a sense like saying like oh like 
you're not my real sister. Like we're not, we're not blood related, you know, saying things like that, like growing up, like, and I think like that's kind of played a part into thinking like, Oh, this is fine. As I went on, you know, like making me believe that it was fine. And so like when we'd have these like sleepovers in his room or whatever, like that's when it would happen. Like I'd be awake and we play games like truth or dare, you know, whatever. And it instantly would jump to like something sexual, like right off the bat, you know? And so yeah i think like putting it as a game or like a sleepover something like that made it i don't know seem less scary and less like taboo to me as a kid i was like oh it's just a game but then like as that was happening it was bad because uh like when i play with my friends i would do these things too because i thought that was normal so like (laughs) i was a very overly provocative like uh promiscuous kid and teenager growing up because like I feel like I was exposed early to this so, like it was just like oh like this is what you do like this is normal you know so yeah yeah I oh, just that's... remember like playing with my friends when I was a kid and like doing all these bad things I'm like oh my god like that is not that's not normal either but then I, <laughs> now I realize you know it's because of this and yeah yeah how did your friends react to that I mean I think like they didn't really say anything and I think it was just kind of like oh, we're just kids playing, you know, whatever. Like, I never did anything, like, extremely, like, over the line with them, but it was definitely more than any normal, like, 8 to 10-year-old would be, like, doing with their friends. You know, I mean, it was also normal for kids to explore, like, their body parts things like that when they are older, but, like, to the extent that I was, I feel like it wasn't normal, you know? It was, like, maybe a little too far, but... Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's, it's so crazy. Like with each of these conversations, the overlap in, in patterns is really shocking. And it seems like so many molesters, it's like even at the age of 13, right? Mm -hmm. For your brother, putting it in terms of a game makes it so much more reasonable to the victim. And for me, that was the wiggle game is what the guy called it. And he would basically mm. just come in and it started out like I would sleep on the floor of my friend's room and he would sleep in the, and my friend would be in his bed and his dad would come in and wake me up by just kind of poking me. And then it would, and then if I woke up, then I would win. And if I didn't wake up, he would win. And mm. it just started like that. And then slowly progressed into becoming more and more sexual where he started like wiggling my dick to wake me up. And in my head, it's like, I remember the exact thought of like, oh, I really, I want to win, you know, (laughs) like I want to win the game. And and it was like, that's, that's literally all that matters as kids is playing games. I just, I wanted to play Mm -hmm. and I wanted to win. And I, and, and it was fun. It was, it was like, you, you, you're so unaware of what's happening. All you need to know is that that it's a game for you to feel like it's not crazy or not uh, necessarily Mm -hmm. weird or bad. And while that stage was going on, the wiggle game, I don't, cause that obviously progressed into the actual molestation yeah, where he would yeah. come in and like grab my dick and stuff. But while that was going on, I didn't, I didn't really think much of it at all. I didn't feel bad. I don't think, uh, mm-hmm. while it was going on. And then when he actually started molesting me, then I started feeling physically bad and it manifested itself in all sorts of ways. Like I had these crazy back spasms. I would be like, my parents and I took a drive to, I think we went to like Santa Cruz from Seattle. And I remember like screaming in agony in the back of the car from these back back spasms. And as soon as I told my mom, I mean, not the second it happened, but I Mm -hmm. never had back spasms after that. 
And it's like, it, I, I can just imagine how many people are harboring these physical and emotional manifestations of trauma um, without having any idea about it. But yeah, the, the whole game game aspect, it's like, I swear everybody is like that. Like the, the last guy that uh, came on the podcast, Will Ogden, was talking about his dad and him would always wrestle. He was molested by mm-hmm. his father. And, uh, and that's, that seems to be, that just seems to be the way they yeah, do it. Th- well, it's easy for a kid to, you know, be roped into that after the game and things like that. And like, uh, there's all the time where he's like, oh, I had this dream of this. And like, we acted out like his dream or something like that, you know, and like, and I also think like as a teenage boy, I'm sure he was watching porn. So like, I'm sure he got, you know, some ideas from that or something like that. So like that at the time too. And even now though, like when people want to play truth or dare, like that's the first thing that comes to my mind or like anything <laughs> yeah. like that. And like, that's like growing up, like that's like a game that everyone plays at like middle school parties, high school parties, things like that. And like truth or dare, like, I hate that game. Like that game made me <laughs> yeah. just like, I'm like, oh, fuck. like, why do they want to play this? You know, like, yeah. and it's just like ruined it for me. And I'm just like, I hate it, you know, things like that. And it just, ugh. and it still, it gives you that like gross feeling, you know? Totally. And I think, I think for me, like how you had back spasms, for me, it was just like a feeling of anxiety, like my stomach. I've had stomach aches like my whole life. And I feel like Mm. just like that feeling of like, oh, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get in trouble. Like this is bad, you know, like that feeling just like, yeah, it makes you sick, honestly. Yeah, it really does. It stores (laughs) in your body. And it's so, Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating how our bodies and minds process these things. I wanted to ask when you were, while it was going on and you were awake, were the conversations, did you ever express any sort of um, like remorse or, or did you, were you ever like, Hey, I'm not stop it. Like, I'm not cool with this. Um, I mean, there were certain actions that like, you want me to do, you want me to be a blowjob at one time. And I remember like this weird little feeling in me saying like, no, I, I shouldn't do that. Like the way that he wanted me to. And he got mad at me because I didn't do it how he like was asking for. And I remember like, that's I think that was when I was a little bit older probably like 10 ish around then like being like Mm -hmm. kind of more (laughs) self-aware like oh like yeah like I kind of know what that is you know like after you know time and I was like no like that's when I started like saying like no and but before that like I remember like as a kid and it kind of makes me feel like gross about myself too is thinking like I never necessarily didn't enjoy it and like if that makes sense and like I think it's because I didn't register, like, I didn't really know that, like, it was bad, and, like, that is also something that I feel like a lot of other people may feel guilt towards, is that they didn't disagree with it or didn't feel bad about it, and totally, I didn't until I was, like, 10, and I think a lot of people probably might struggle with that, because I know me personally, like, I was like, ooh, how could I think that that was, like, fine, like, how could I think, like, whatever, you know, but like, you just have to remind yourself, like, it's not you, like you're a child, literally a child, like you don't, you don't know any better. So. Absolutely. And you're, you've been, you've been groomed and conditioned to think that this is normal behavior by the person that's doing it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, we, we treat, we reflect on these experiences with such an unfair judgment of ourselves so frequently ex- mm-hmm. thinking back on what like what was I think how could I have done that how could I have thought those things and it's like we have to let all of that go because it's just not it's not fair to yourself to expect you to behave like you would at the age that you're reflecting on it now or whenever yeah. you are yeah. and I know exactly how you feel that shame that's associated with 
um, liking it or not hating it, you know, yeah. like, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a whole spectrum. And I think wherever you fall, if you're not like immediate, it, for me, I just remember being embarrassed that I wasn't like, that I didn't say stop immediately. Like, why, why did it take me two years to say something? And I, I have a bit about this, but um, while it was going on, like I would get boners. And, mm -hmm. and that was so confusing for me because it was, that was, was some of my first boners, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, like, while huh. this is happening for the first time, and I'm starting to like, experience sexuality and like, mm -hmm. how, how, how it feels. It's like, you're, 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 you have these budding thoughts and, and feelings, and then you're thrown into a hypersexual environment that you shouldn't be exposed to for many years until many years later. So it's like, of course, your body will respond in mm -hmm. ways like mm -hmm. boners or whatever, whatever you feel. It's like it's a natural response to being touched. And mm -hmm. I just immediately associated that with being gay. And so I just was like, I, I, I thought that if I told my parents what had happened, that they would confront the guy and that he would say that, uh, yeah, I, I touched him, but he had a boner. Like mm -hmm. he liked it. He was into it. And then I thought that that was going to be the end of it. <laughs> I thought that that was just it. Like, I thought that if you liked these things, then that made it okay. So that was another reason why I didn't say something for so long. And, and I also remember I remember despite having, you know, feelings of, of enjoyment of the physicality, I also remember distinctly thinking to my, myself, like thinking to my dick, even like, stop it, <laughs> like stop mm -hmm. being hard right now, because I don't want this guy to think that I like this. I don't mm -hmm. want you to, th it's like, <laughs> and these are, it's so funny, like with each of these conversations, I have more memories come back to me. And that was one that mm -hmm. I, I don't think I've thought about before or at least in a long time and and I remember like the frustration of trying to control my dick and not <laughs> it's like my dick sending the wrong message here I You're do like, not want please. more of this yeah it's and and it's and it's also interesting what you said about the blowjob being the thing that sort of triggered you to and also like you said a, a product of being older but that similar thing happened to me not a blowjob but as I would get older and the molestation progressed, it got to the point where, you know, initially he would just be on the side of the bed. I thought he was under the bed, but it's not like I, I you know, I never looked over like, what are you doing? Which is another thing they said in court. They were like, he couldn't have fit under the bed, Sebastian. Like, isn't that odd? And I'm like, I don't fucking know if he was on the You're side. like, he was there, okay? <laughs> yeah, like, what do you, what, it doesn't matter where he was, like, but anyway. So, uh, <laughs> it would progress and it got to the point where he was getting into bed and you know it obviously started like over the pants he would grab my dick and then it, under the under the shorts but over the boxers and then it got to like mm -hmm. skin contact and then I just it, it felt like with each progression it I felt physically worse as in myself and it just yeah it's it's interesting the threshold that each kid has for tolerating this kind of behavior is different. And that's obviously the point of the grooming is to mm -hmm. increase that threshold and make it seem less and less weird. Slowly but surely. Exactly. But I, I think I got to a very similar point with you where, uh, uh not with you, <laughs> a similar point that you, <laughs> you also were there? experienced. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he, uh, 
one time he got into bed and it was just me, my friend and him at this, they had this cabin and uh, we went there and it just got to the point where he got into bed with us in between us and started molesting me. And I, and I, and I was like, please stop. Like I said that out loud with my friend in the room and, and he just, without saying a word, he like slowly pulled his hand away and then got up and, and left the room. And I remember, I think that was the most scared I've ever been in my entire life was in that moment of, cause I, you know, what the fuck? I, I've never said anything about this before. I've never mm-hmm. tried to fight this before. I've never, I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've rolled over. Like when it, when he would do it, I would like try to roll over, but he would just, you know, keep doing it. There's only so much you can avoid when you're in a bed with a, you know, other children and like you're, there's not much wiggle room, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunate choice of words. But um, <laughs> so I remember in that moment feeling so scared and, and the next day uh, we were having like a snowball fight and me, me and my friend against his dad. And he like yelled out like, Oh, the gay molester strikes again. That was like the exact phrasing that he used when he was throwing these snowballs at us. And I, I didn't even really know what that meant, but I felt like I knew what it meant with the emotion that he used the inflection that he was using behind it. It was anger. I mean, he was mad Mm -hmm. at me for, for telling him for saying no. Yeah, exactly. And and I, when he said that, I was just like, so it, it felt like at any point he was going to hurt me. I felt like in danger kind of. And mm-hmm. I think that that obviously triggered the, the, what would eventually lead to me saying, telling my parents. Um, but it's, it's those moments where you, you feel like immobilized and paralyzed and that you can't say anything and it happens and then it finally gets to a point where you just like can't take it anymore. And that doesn't happen for everyone, you know? A mm-hmm. lot of That's true. Yeah. Ever, they just you will, will keep saying, they're not, not saying yes, but not saying no or, you know, whatever they're going through. It's, it's, these things are so common and it seems, it's obviously not a universal experience, but there seems to be so much, so much, so many common themes in the experiences of kids who have been molested or abused and, um, yeah, it's just, and I was saying this in the last episode, but if it's like, you know, it feels so good to talk about it, you know, in this way, just like without and hearing your story too. It's just like, it's, you would never expect a conversation like this to be fun or funny or yeah, like no, but it like is, that, it is it now. Is. Like I laugh about it now. I mean, obviously I'm like, it affects me still. And like, I'm still, I mean, I've been to therapy, you know, and I'm like dealing with it and like, it affects me, but like, I also can make jokes about it and it's like funny, you know, and things like that. And like, I've told people before and like I'd be laughing or like this is about my fucked up childhood and I'll be laughing and stuff and they're like why are you laughing and I'm like oh I don't it's just funny now like I don't know like <laughs> yeah I know like, are you okay I'm like yeah I'm fine yeah you feel kind of crazy for mm-hmm. for laugh especially initially I kind of felt like the joker or something like just <laughs> laughing at this like super horrible thing but it's really not like that at all it's like laughing about it is so empowering and it's 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 a awesome way to cope but I also wanted to ask you um it went on for two years and was the point where you said where you said no to the blowjob was that the last time that it happened I think yeah I think that was the last time um I remember that time feeling like also thinking about this it seems weird to me now thinking that like I was almost ashamed that he was mad at me like I almost wanted to like him not to be mad at me and I feel like yeah I feel like I'm like, totally. oh, I'm like, some like, I should have done this. Like, I should, like, it was a guilt, like, that I should have done it. And I think that, like, part of it is because, like, we were so close. Like, I, like, 
you know, as a little, as a younger girl, like, oh yeah, my big brother, like, you know, like I wanted his approval so badly and I don't know why. And like thinking about that, I mean, like I didn't do this. So like now, like it's my fault and then it never happened. Yeah. I think that if I can remember, like that's the last time that like I distinctively remember like it happening. Um, it's kind of hard to remember every single time because they're all very similar. Like, yeah. cause it's the same game, the same stuff every time. So it's like, I don't know exactly how many times it happened. I know it was a lot between that time. Right. Um, and I, I remember thinking, yeah, like I was upset that he was mad at me. Like I wanted, like, I felt bad for him being mad at me. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, why do I feel bad about that? You know, like, and I haven't thought about that before until now. I was like, oh yeah, I felt like bad. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I really, I really know what you mean. Like going back to that snowball fight after he said the game molester strikes again, I remember kind of yelling like, what? And he was like, don't you remember? Please stop. Like he was mocking me. Like he was making mm. fun of me for, for, for not doing, doing it. For, yeah, exactly. And th- the feeling that you just described is exactly how I felt. Totally uh, sad that I had made him mad. This guy mm-hmm. who, because I mean, he was a fucking cool dad for, in the eyes of a child, in, of an eight-year-old. You know, we could do mm-hmm. whatever we wanted at their house. And, and, and that was really all that mattered to me was being treated like I was older than I was, you know, playing like T-rated video games and, and, and being able to eat whatever we want, stay up late, mm-hmm. all that shit. Like, I didn't want to make that person mad because I think it was that I, I, I knew that I would, I, I didn't want to lose the experiences that I was having at his house, not the molestation, but mm-hmm. the, all the, all the fun things. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, that is a whole dynamic that I really have not thought about until now, even is just like not wanting to make the perpetrator, the molester mad. It's like, that's in, and, and it's so sick. It's and like, not just because you're scared of them, but because like you genuinely are like, Oh, I don't, it's like disappointing somebody. It's like, you don't want to yeah. make someone disappointed. It's like not just making them mad. It's different. Like not that I was like scared of him all the time, but like literally just cause I didn't want to disappoint him, which is, crazy for me to think about but yeah I mean it's 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 like whether you're getting molested by the person or not you never at that age you never want to disappoint anybody and I I remember caring so much about the well-being of other people not like you know in a super intense just like wanting people to be I I hated feeling Mm -hmm. like I had made somebody feel bad and (laughs) even in the case of you know not letting a person molest me it's like even then you don't want to piss them off make them mm-hmm. oh, that is that is really wild it's interesting thinking about both of our experiences and when we did finally speak up that sort of was the end of it uh in at least mm-hmm. from our as far as our memories can tell but i i am sure that there are so many people that have had experiences where they do say no and things don't stop and that oh, i'm sure yeah next level shit uh because yeah i mean in many ways, I think that if perhaps if the molestation had continued for me, I would have let it go on even longer just because I hated that feeling of disappointing him so much and uh, and disappointing my friend too. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, like even though he may or may not have known what he was, what his dad was talking about or why he was mad. It, I just, you just, it's just, a, it's just like an environmental thing. Like you don't want to be around that kind of energy i guess Mm -hmm. or or just uh yeah it was palpable the feelings that he was expressing were really palpable and you don't want to don't want to have those feelings it's weird and so you so it stopped then and then what was sort of the point 
because it was six years later that you said you finally spoke up. Yeah. What sort of triggered that? Well, so as like time was going on, I was dealing with other things at the time, not just that. Like I think my environment growing up that I grew up in, you know, I was kind of always like a trouble child. And I feel like that played a part in it as well. Like I had all these emotions and things happening to me that I didn't know how to process. And so I was always like a bad kid at school, so to speak, you know, like mm-hmm. I was always getting in trouble, doing bad things. And I eventually started doing drugs and things like that to like cope with these feelings and all this stuff. And I think it was just pent up stuff. And um, I remember my parents taking me to the hospital because I had like a little tantrum, basically freak out thing. I was like 16. I was refusing to take a drug test and all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was there and the lady like interviewing me was like, uh, she got to the question. She's like, have you ever been sexually abused? And it was like, clicked like everything like that <laughs> yeah. question just like clicked everything in my head and I was like oh I saw I sat there for like a second like yes like and she's like has it ever been of course like no and I was like oh my god like that that was that that's what that was like all of that and I was just like I don't know why then or like specifically what she said like whatever but it just it clicked and it was like everything came rushing back I remembered everything and I was like yeah that's not normal that should not have happened so wow I mean, that is, is a huge reason why we do need to talk about this stuff in, in schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about how many people who have just gone through life and, you know, maybe if, if that had never been brought up in that meeting, it could have been many, many years later. How old are you now? 21. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. may, may have never even come up again. Who knows? Yeah, honestly, and, I may have just never remembered ever again, honestly. Yeah. Maybe eventually, like, my older be like, what it came to me, but... She never asked. I probably would have never thought about it, remembered really. It's amazing how you could go through six years of your life without any exposure. I mean, maybe it came up in passing, but without hearing it and registering that, like just hearing the word sexual abuse, uh, mm-hmm. it's, that is enough to trigger it. And it's like, you know, you think about how many people who have gone their whole lives and just never really been exposed to this, this kind of uh, conversation because mm-hmm. people people hate talking about it and uh wow that is that is really wild and what was the lady's reaction to that like i mean she's just after? a regular like social worker at the hospital place yeah. so she was just kind of like okay like well um we're gonna have to report it i'm gonna have to tell them whatever i remember feeling like, panicked like oh like you're gonna tell someone like you're gonna tell people about this <laughs> yeah, like yeah. i don't want to tell anyone about this i don't want to re- relive this you know like my brother yeah. and, like at that time he was what yeah he was 21 yeah he'd be 21 then at the time so and he was uh seeing this girl and he was about to get married and stuff like that and I remember thinking like I'm gonna ruin his life I'm gonna ruin his marriage I'm gonna ruin all this stuff for him you know and I think that's part of the reason like I didn't press charges or things like that I didn't I know that that's I think also part of the reason that he didn't say anything to anyone or say that it did happen because he didn't want this girl he's about to marry to find out about this happening and all this stuff. So of course, I just remember feeling like I'm going to ruin his life instead of like thinking, wow, I'm finally going to be free of this feeling. <laughs> I'm going to ruin his life instead, you know, like yeah. still making it about him instead of about me. So. Yeah. And that, that seems to be the tendency of, of victims is to try, I guess, just put other people's well being above yourself. Like I, I you know, I, I valued the relationship that I had with my friend and his dad and 
you know, the, all the experiences that we would have over there more than not getting molested for two years. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's what it was. And it's crazy thinking about like, (laughs) you know, the moment that you do say something that like what you just described, that moment of uh, not wanting anybody to know, it's exactly mm-hmm. how I felt too. As soon as my mom asked me about the good touch, bad touch, and I told her, I, I was like, you cannot tell anyone about this. Like I, no one can ever know. And of course mm-hmm. she asked to, she had to speak up about <laughs> tell it. People, yeah. yeah. But you, <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, like, all I wanted to do was just not have to go over there anymore. I didn't want, I didn't want to or not. I still actually wanted to go over there. I just didn't <laughs> want to have that experience anymore. Yeah. And and that was like all I wanted at that age. It's like, I didn't want him to go to jail. I didn't want him to mm-hmm. suffer or anything. It wasn't even, it, it wasn't even about that. I just, I just knew that I couldn't feel the way that I was feeling anymore. And I couldn't keep putting myself in that position where I would experience those things. And uh, <laughs> it's so interesting how it's like, it's always like rushes. It's always mm-hmm. like huge, th- huge amounts of memories and feelings that come back. And it's always just triggered by random random things i mean not necessarily random like if somebody asks you about sexual abuse mm-hmm. but it is it is really interesting to think about and i wonder because obviously your brother knows that it happened and mm-hmm. do you think that do you think that you'll ever bring it up with him again i think maybe down the line i think right now he's definitely still not ready to deal with that and i think I don't know. Part of me wants to, but part of me is kind of just like, just, I don't want to deal with that again. Like, I don't want to go into that again with him. And like, I thought about just writing him a letter and that way it's not like verbally have to actually speak to him. But it's kind of like, if I do this again, like I'm still going to have to see him after still. So it's like, whenever I decide to do this, like it's not like he's going to go anywhere. Like he's part of my family. So it's like, uh, it's, it's very like back and forth feeling on it. It's like, I want to, but I think also I'm not ready to discuss that with him yet too. At the same time, like personally, like I don't think I'm at the place where I want to discuss that with him yet. Yeah. But I mean, eventually like I would like him to at least admit it that it happened just so like, I'm like, see, I told you like, yes, it happened. Like I'm not lying. Like this really did happen, you know? So. (laughs) Yeah, I I do know. I definitely do. I wonder like from his perspective, because I think the most important thing is to just heal yourself first. I think that mm-hmm. there is a lot of benefits to confronting your abuser, but ultimately the healing is all done on your own time. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's an internal process and like speaking about it helps so much, but it doesn't have to be with the person who did it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think it's awesome that you're speaking up about it now and you know, there's no roadmap for these kind of things. No, I wish there was. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe one day, but there's every situation is so unique and different and, and not, um, there's no right way to do it. But I, 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 I would, I would be so interested to hear what that conversation would be like if you, if you guys ever do talk about it. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason I haven't. Cause I'm like, I don't even know what to say yet. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't know. I think, that with him because a part of me at first was worried that like maybe he'll do it to somebody else but then when I think about it I'm like I don't think that he will I don't think he's like necessarily like a serial predator you know I don't think he's gonna do it again but also I don't know I don't know him I don't know his thoughts you know but yeah I think 
as he's grown up, like, he's also changed. And I, that's why I bring up, like, thinking that part of the reason he did it was because of what he was going through, you know? I'm not saying it's an excuse, but, like, yeah, I just think that maybe there's some things he has to work on in himself, too, before he's even ready to hear about it or accept it himself, too. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like he, until he gets to that point, like, he's not going to be willing to listen or accept it. So. Yeah, that's another another thing, though, that's, that's interesting to think about is uh, the the responsibility that we have as victims. I, I don't even really like calling it a responsibility because you don't want to put any more things on a victim's plate. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's it's a thought, you know, if, for example, let's say I never told anybody about what happened with the guy who molested me it's very likely that he would have gone on to molest other kids and he might still be, you know, he didn't get Mm -hmm. convicted. Um, I like to think that once you go to trial for this once, you're much more, much less likely to do it again, because if you get caught again, it's like, what are they Mm going (laughs) to, you know, you've already been accused of this once, but um, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to know um, whether or not they've, they've done it to other kids. And if they would stop doing it to other kids, if you Mm -hmm. confronted them about it, it's, there's really no, no way to know at all. But I think uh, really the the best thing we can do is just is, is speak up about it. And you already did. And, uh, and you said that your dad believed you, right? Yeah. So um, before I get into that, also, I do have a little sister. So like that also was something of concern of mine, you know, that I was like, Oh, did he do this to her too? You know what I mean? Like, and she's five years younger than me. So we're all five years apart. So like at that point, like you did to her, like they're 10 years apart. So it's a bit different, but I think, uh, since she is much younger than me, I feel like he didn't do it to her. Um, if that makes sense, like the age range of where it was, I can't say for certain, you know, yeah, I, I mean, my guy was 48 years older, Yeah. So. <laughs> like I'm going to have to have a conversation with her and be like, yeah. Oh, you know, and like, that is something I've thought about. Um, but just based off of like her behaviors or like the way she is and things like that. Like, I feel like it didn't happen just because of that, you know, like I like there's almost like a sign in kids that you can kind of like tell that like maybe something like that, you know, did happen. But, um, but yeah, my dad, he said he believed me um, the night that we were driving home from the hospital after like I had told the lady or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, she obviously told my dad, like, cause I was still minor. So she told my dad everything and like, yeah, so like that and all the way home we had a conversation and my dad actually when he was five his uh female cousin molested him um when he was a child so he's like I kind of know how you're feeling like I understand like uh he told you it's happened about to it me too yeah right he then. told me about his yeah his experience wow. um none of his other siblings even knew like only his parents and him know about it and he hasn't he hasn't told anyone else but me and his parents so he kind of like opened up with me and we kind of talked about it and stuff like that. So that was kind of like a good feeling like, okay, someone understands, like he understands. I can come to him. I can talk to him. And I've always been like a daddy's girl, like me and my dad are super close. So yeah. it was kind of nice to have that. I bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, <laughs> it's it reminds me of when, um, when I, when I was talking to my uh, friend's dad who was on the jury uh, of my case, I didn't mm-hmm. meet his daughter until later. But um, when I talked to him about being on the jury, 
uh, and he ended up telling me that he got molested. And it's like <laughs> this, the, the numbers are astounding how many people mm-hmm. have been through these things. It's just like statistically, you know, it, 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 of course, of course that happened, not to him specifically, but it's yeah. like so mathematically it makes total sense. And I, I wanted to ask you about the, cause you said that you think that there's, you can kind of tell with kids. You said that there's like yeah. a sign. I feel like kids without like, like for me, I feel like if my parents would notice like how like overly promiscuous I was in my teenage years, things like that, like that's not normal. Like I feel like a lot of times either you either go one way or the other, you're either super promiscuous or you're not at all mm-hmm. because of what happens to you. And like, I feel like kids knowing too much sexual information at a younger age, like that's not normal. Like a kid shouldn't know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like they have innocence still, but like, I didn't have that. Like I knew what so many things were because of what happened to me. And I think like, I don't know. That's a sign of like, it's a known sign that like if a kid has too much sexual information, like obviously they're going to learn things from media and stuff like that. But like, you should pay attention to that and maybe ask them a few questions about like, Hey, has this, has anything happened? Like, how do you know this? Who told you this or something like that? You know, kids don't just learn information on their own, you know, either yeah. someone tells them or they see it somewhere, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting to see if she had a similar, cause I assume your sister never knew anything about this. About no i don't think she even knows now so yeah. they didn't tell her she was younger so like it <laughs> she didn't really need to know that that was happening really that wasn't something you don't just tell you know a kid but i feel and yet like we're, she's we're older talking now, about so. how we tell kids <laughs> yeah. yeah well i mean like you don't tell so hey like your sister was sexually abused you know yeah. but yeah. i mean i think yeah maybe that would have been better if they did because if that did happen to her and like telling her that that happened but i think at the time they didn't really know what to do like even with my dad telling me that experience and like connecting with me I feel like he was just like I don't know what to do like my brother's already like moved out um and stuff like that but I remember when I was older he ended up moving back in with us like with his wife when I was still living at home so it was just like I think at the time they're like well he's gone like he's out of the house like they're separated like it's we'll deal with her you know whatever so I feel like it's an impossibly complicated situation yeah, to, to be yeah. in for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, the last thing that your your dad or mom would, would have wanted was to ask your sister and then have her say, yeah, it happened to her too. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's, there's, I can't imagine being a parent in a situation like that and trying to decipher what the right thing to do is. And obviously you don't want any of your kids to, to go through anything like this and, and you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want just want what's best for your family and what a difficult thing to figure out in that situation. Um, When I have conversations with people about this, oftentimes things come up like that where you think about potential other victims and, uh, and, you know, I'm not (laughs) qualified to advise people in any Mm -hmm. way, you know, I, I, I'd really enjoy talking about this stuff, but I, uh, I don't know what the right thing to do is necessarily in these situations. But I would definitely uh, consider, from your perspective, uh, bringing it up with your sister at some point, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whenever that is. Uh, But, you know, as somebody who has come out of your experience and knows how it feels to talk about it and how it sets you free from it and, you know, all of those things, I think that if worst case, you know, not worst case scenario, but uh, best (laughs) the best case scenario is that if it didn't happen to her, but worst case scenario it didn't happen to her. And then she just is hearing you talk about this and it's like, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever, this is part of me, but you really, another reason it, that 
if I it didn't, happened to her, yeah. then, you know, you could really be helping her. Mm-hmm. Another reason I didn't think that she did was because she never had sleepovers with him or like played games mm-hmm. with him or things like that. And I was like, okay, well, that's his like MO, you know, that was his like thing. So <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. she never like participated in any of that, you know? Cause like, she was like obviously around when I was doing that. Like she was, but she would be upstairs with my parents or whatever and stuff. And he used to babysit us all the time because he was so much older than us. So it would be mm-hmm. like, she was already asleep. And then it was like, oh, like, do you want to have a sleepover tonight? Or like, when well, parents are gone or like things like that. And like, um, even as time went on, like, so like she never did any of that. So that's like part of the reason I don't think that yeah. that happened just because she wasn't doing that. But like, again, I don't know, because there was times where with him, it wasn't always just a game. It wasn't always whatever. Like there's times where like, I feel like he was getting more like bold with it. And like, yeah. there's times where it'd be like, my parents were home and they were awake and walking around. And it was, we had like a basement stairs um, with a door on it. And so like, he did it in that stairwell one time and like all this stuff. And it was just like, they're home and they're walking around. It was like, so it was just so normalized. It felt like, because like, it was like, Oh, it's just an everyday thing. Like it's routine. It's fine. Like, so. Oh yeah. The boldness is terrifying. When the molesters start having confidence. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. shit. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I got the, the guy at that cabin I was talking about at another time we were there with like four families and, and four, four kids, me and me and, mm-hmm. you know, three other friends. And he fucking we had like each each had like our own little individual bed they were all lined up next to each other in like a living room area in the living room of the cabin this guy molested me with four families including my family all sleeping there and uh one of the parents saw him sleeping under the bed she went to the bathroom like late at night turned on the light and she saw him sleep she didn't see him molesting me but she saw him sleeping uh next to my bed and i didn't say anything of it because again you know you talk about parental dynamics it's like she's Mm -hmm. in this guy's house you know maybe that's common for 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 her to for him to do um especially if like the logic that he used of wanting to yeah his kid sleeps better when he's in the room you know all Mm -hmm. of these all of these variables play into the reasons why people didn't say something why Mm -hmm. she didn't say something or why you know anybody doesn't say something but she said that in in the trial she testified and said that and they still were like yeah i don't know like what the fuck <laughs> they're like, okay, like yeah i know much? you have a witness but like we don't believe you i have an you adult witness an adult third party witness uh, but you're still lying <laughs> exactly but it's but it's they do get more bold and i was just like i remember when he was because i was obviously awake for that and i was just like mm-hmm. shocked i i couldn't believe in a, a part of me was like you know what man good for you like <laughs> this, this is, you earned this you know whatever <laughs> but it was it was so crazy uh experiencing that and like I, I do know exactly what you mean. And I think that, that is, it's, it's definitely encouraging that, you know, they weren't having the same setup that you and your brother were having. Um, yeah. 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 I'm grateful for that, yeah, honestly. Yeah. And I can imagine that if that was going on, you would have been much more inclined to, to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause it's like, Oh, like it's not just me. It's affecting. It's like somebody else I care about. That's, you know, much right. smaller than me. I'm supposed to be her big sister. I'm supposed to protect her. You know what I mean? So like, of course. If that was happening, yeah, that would have been more upsetting. I feel like at the yeah. time. Yeah. It's. But it's me. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, that's, I don't that's, care. <laughs> that's the logic. That's the victim logic right there that I empathize yeah. with. Yeah. No. Fucking molest me. Just keep everybody else happy. It's fine. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I can think take it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I also wonder, like, you know, thinking about. uh while it was going on because i don't i don't know if he molested my friend too um mm-hmm. 
but I think it, I think it's very likely that my friend knew that he was molesting me um, just because of how often he would come into the room late at night. And it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing to not at least notice at some point. Mm -hmm. But again, it's possible that he didn't. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, of course. Um, but I also wonder, like, you know, if he was, if his dad was molesting him too, I mm. can absolutely see why he, how nice would it be to finally not get molested by your dad? It's like whenever your friends mm -hmm. are coming over, he doesn't molest you. Like what a, what a relief, you know? I, mm -hmm. it, and again, this is all hypothetical hypothetically but i uh <laughs> it's interesting you know considering that sort of a dynamic <laughs> i always wonder about my friend and thinking about the situation that he was in and how impossible it would be to if he was getting molested by his dad the the decision to either tell the truth and of course lose his father or lie mm -hmm. and you know protect him and potentially even continue getting abused by him um obviously if he was molesting him beforehand i don't think it's very likely that he stopped after um but all of it's like every every story that i hear provides like another dynamic that i haven't thought of before and it's all just as crazy as mm -hmm. my own and you know even crazier or not i mean it's there's a spectrum of this kind of stuff but it's it's so interesting to hear your story and and it really isn't, isn't it bananas that like, you know, this happened to me when I was 10 and I'm 25 now. So, well, when I was eight, it started, I said something when I was 10, but 15 years later, you, there are still things that just pop into your head randomly, like from a conversation. No, yeah. with you. It's so, it's so crazy how that happens. <laughs> I think, I, I think that too, because, and that's why it shows it's important to have these conversations because I think it helps with the healing process of being like, Oh, like, I haven't thought about that before. Like this feeling just got brought up, you know, and you can talk about that or like whatever. And like, um, I feel like it just feels nice also to relate to people and be like, Oh, you felt that too. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Like, thank God I'm not the only one who thought that too. Like this thing with like enjoying it or whatever you're not. And I'm just like, Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Like it makes it so much better, you know? And it's just, it is really nice to not be by yourself and like, be like, okay, other people did this too. And like, look how they're doing. They're fine. Like you can, you can be fine too. And you can overcome it too. Exactly. And I think, with, excuse me, I think with molestation, especially, you feel more alone than, you know, it's probably one of the most alone feelings you can have. And mm -hmm. just, I think that because so many people experience this and experience those feelings, there's such a desire for a, a, a conversation around this kind of stuff right mm -hmm. now. And it, and it, and it really is, it, it's so helpful. Like, even if, even if we never showed this to anybody else, like I love, I, this is a great conversation. It feels good mm -hmm. to talk no, about yeah, this so stuff. And, and, and we, you know, we just met <laughs> like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm really, really just thankful to, to talk with you about all of this. Um, one thing I've been meaning to do is uh, cause you know, when I, when I first started putting all this content out, there was a reaction it was very similar to after I put the TikTok out, but just at mm -hmm. a much smaller scale, you know, people that I know were reaching out saying that they were molested too. Um, but people were really wanting to talk about it and share their stories too. And now with TikTok after, after that one video, it's like, it just happened the exact same scenario, mm -hmm. but at a much larger scale. And the crazy thing to think about is like, 
it's just like that. Like it's correlated exactly. Like if you were to, that video got like a million views, I think it's like mm-hmm. maybe 1.5 now, but if you were to show that to 10 million people, statistically, there would be the exact same percentage of, ha- of people having the, the, the same reaction that so many people have had already just because of how many people get molested. Mm-hmm. So it's like it, one thing that I think is important is getting this in for getting this, these conversations and content out to as many people as possible. And I think one way to do that is making some sort of a compilation because, you know, it's hard for, for podcasts to really get like viral traction Mm -hmm. in the way that TikToks do. Um, But I thought it would be cool to basically make like a compilation of certain questions. And then, uh, so it would be like me asking a question and then whoever I'm speaking with answers the question. And then I would basically make it a compilation. So it would be like all sorts of, for example, I have a list of questions here, but one of them is who abused you. And then it would cut to you know, say 10 different people from the podcast who all say like the same thing. Yeah, that's cool. Same thing or or different people. And I think that maybe having a compilation like that, sort of like a shorter video that gives a taste of what the podcast is is Mm -hmm. like, um, could be a way to get the exposure out there. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, I I don't feel at all, uh, (laughs) you know, rushed or anything. There's, it's like, Mm -hmm. there's no pressure. I, the fact that it's helped as many people as it has already is more than enough. Uh, and, but I also feel a sense of urgency and responsibility knowing that this is global. This is a thing that's been going on for thousands of years. This is a mm-hmm. huge problem that nobody's talking about. And it's insane that, they don't, that nobody's talking about it. And that we know how easy it can, not necessarily easy, but how good it can feel to talk about it and how important mm-hmm. it is to have these conversations. So anyway, um, I just really wanted to thank you for being a part of, of all of this. Um, and uh, maybe we could do these questions just like at the end yeah, of course. you, but um, is there anything else that you wanted to share or talk about or it's totally, um, totally open? I guess I just want like, if anyone listens to this to know that like nothing's wrong with you, like if it's still happening to you currently or like things like that, like it is okay to speak up. I know like it can be scary or things like that, but like the sooner you speak up, the better because it'll stop sooner. Um, I wish I would have, you know, I let it sit for so long that it's just like now I'm dealing with it now instead of dealing with when I should have been able to speak up about it so I guess just hoping that they get the courage to say something just hearing like with friends other people who have gone the same experience stuff like that and just talking about it each time like like you said like I learned something different about myself and about the situation every time that I talk about it um and it's like oh, I didn't think about it that way before, you know? And like, it feels good to know that like, you really aren't the only one who feels like almost exactly the way that you feel, you know? And also I suggest getting a therapist. It helps a lot and just really process everything. I know everyone has access to that with financially and things like that. But like, if you do to use that resource a lot. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I completely agree. It's, it's having the conversation that is the important part. It doesn't matter. I don't think the, the mm-hmm. forum in which you do it, it's, it's whether it's a therapist um, or your parents, you just have to speak up. It's mm-hmm. the most, it's the most important thing. And I have yet to find somebody who has spoken up and hasn't felt amazing because of it. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's really the thing is it's like, it's a, it's, and I'm sure there are people that have had that experience and, and, you know, not to diminish them at all, but 
I, I really do believe that, that our best defense against all of this stuff is talking about it. So I agree. if you're listening to this podcast, uh, thank you so much for watching it. And uh, Bree, it was really, really nice to meet you. And I deeply appreciate you sharing your story. It was super helpful and helpful for me as well. And just like, you know, it's always feel good, feels good to know that other people empathize with you and understand your experience. And uh, none of us are alone. So thank you so much for being a part of this. Of course. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Oh, yo, that was so, you're, you're fucking dope. <laughs> <That was laughs> so, I love it. <laughs>